Today's reading is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. It's entitled, The Believers Share Their Possessions. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to HD Online. My name's Stuart, and I'm one of the associate vicars here. And this morning, we are going to be continuing our series uh, through Acts. Uh, we're looking at the end of chapter 4. And uh, our topic this morning is, is uh, the generosity of God's people, as we have this amazing example of the first ever church, the church in Jerusalem, only uh, a short time after Jesus had um, ascended and the Holy Spirit being poured out of them. We see this amazing picture of their life together and their radical giving and sharing to one another. And so we're going to look at this and see what we can, we can learn and how we can grow. <clears throat> And I guess it's worth saying, as we come to a topic like just generosity, that um, I don't come this morning with any particular agenda. Um, I'm not about to launch a new initiative or ask for any money in, in any particular way. The reason that we are looking at this topic is simply because um, as we read the book of Acts, we see that generosity is held out as one of the hallmarks, one of the key signs of the presence of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And um, Luke certainly holds it out to us as an example. And we want to, we want to be a, a community that's more centered on the gospel and more full of the spirit. Um, so uh, we hope to learn from this passage as we look at it. And what I hope we can do over the next 15, 20 minutes or so is, um, first of all, I just want to look at uh, what this little community was actually doing uh, in practice, how they were sharing. Next, uh, we want to look at their heart, their, their motive, why they were doing it. And finally, just want to apply some of this to us and ask what we can take away from it all. But will you pray for me um, before we dive into this passage? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this chance to uh, look at your word together. We thank you for this amazing um, example of the Acts Church and... Um, we pray that you be teaching us what you want to teach us. You be encouraging us, strengthening us and making us more into the people you want us to be. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. So, as I said before, Jesus has risen and commissioned his disciples and then ascended. The Holy Spirit's been poured out on, 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 the, on the first disciples and the first ever church has started. So what did their life together look like well we've had a bit of a description of it read and 
uh, and one of the things we're told they were doing is they were they were sharing uh, their possessions. So what were they actually doing? That's the first question. What did their life together actually look like? Well, we're told in verse 32, this amazing statement. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. It's quite extraordinary. So what did this look like? What does that mean in practice? Well, it might be worth starting with a few things that it, it didn't mean, because I think we can quickly jump to conclusions. One of the things it didn't mean is that the early church gave up on the idea of private property, as if joining the church meant instantly selling everything you had and joining some sort of commune. That wasn't what it was uh, going on here. Nor um, does it mean that um, the disciples all shared the same level of wealth. Again, everything we know from this passage from and from the rest of Acts and, and the New Testament uh, tells us that there continued to be wealthy Christians and less wealthy Christians together in the same church. So it wasn't that either. But just because it wasn't either of those doesn't mean it wasn't radical. Um, Luke goes on to unpack for us some of what was going on uh, in this very first church community. And basically, uh, the, what was happening is the, 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 the first church in Jerusalem was a really uh, poor church. It was really financially challenged. First of all, the economy of Jerusalem and the surrounding area um, was very weak. So things weren't good to start with. Then um, lots of the Jews who had joined the church, become Christians, um, found that they no longer had support from um, the Jewish community and from their families. And they found themselves in a hard place. And finally, on top of this, it appears that lots of disciples, lots of new believers um, from other areas outside of Jerusalem had come to stay in Jerusalem to be part of this church. Suddenly there was a whole bunch of people who needed financial support. So this church found itself in a hard place. Um, they were a, 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 had lots of people in need as part of their community. But Luke tells us they responded in an amazing way. Um, people uh, didn't in the church didn't just say, well, that's a shame. <laughs> um, basically, they treated each other as close family. They basically said, as long as I've got a roof over my head and money in my pocket, my church family are not going to go hungry. And so members of the community were radically sharing and giving amongst them, amongst themselves. Not necessarily, as I said, uh, so that everyone had exactly the same amount, but certainly we told um, that they, 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 they uh, alleviated the most desperate need among them. Luke is able to say that there was no one, literally there was no one who lacked among them. That's an amazing, amazing thing to say. Now, I'm sure this involved lots of smaller acts of uh, giving and sharing, but we're told significantly that uh, from time to time, in other means, uh, in other words, semi-regularly, semi wealthier members of the church would sell property, sell possessions, and allow the proceeds to be distributed amongst those who needed it most. That is an amazing, amazing community to be part of. And I just want to pause here, though. I just want to pause here because when I read this story um, and I see this amazing example, I don't know about you, but the, 
one of the first things that happens is I start to panic a little bit. And I immediately begin to think some of some of the, the big problems that are going to come down the line with this kind of generosity. I begin to, my mind begins to run away with myself. And I think it's worth pausing here because if we're not careful, we can look at this example and it's, it can be easier, certainly for me, to try and explain it away and say, well, they can't really have been doing this. They can't really have been living like this. Um, it's too complicated. There'll be too many problems. But I just want to pause and point out at this point that the early church did experience a huge number of problems uh, because of their radical generosity. And I, I just want to just highlight a few of these, a few of the problems that they encountered. Um, first of all, um, it led to, to pious pretense. Pious pretense. Uh, these church was giving radically, but only in the next chapter do we see um, uh, two members of the church community, Ananias and uh, Sapphira, um, want to be seen to be generous, want to be seen to be like Barnabas who sold his property, but they don't actually want to give. And so they fudge it and they lie to the church. It, it really doesn't end, end well. They had the problem of pious pretense. Then they face the problem of how to distribute the money. The next chapter after that is chapter 6. And uh, um, there there we see that the church had complaints about how the money was distributed. There was, uh, some people were saying that it was unfair and the wrong people were getting the money. And uh, so it's a massive mess. It's a real issue and they have to deal with it. Then they face the problem of sustainability. And if you keep reading in the book of Acts, the Jerusalem church just simply runs out of money as will happen if you sell your property and give it away. And then later, they, they encounter the problem of power dynamics. Paul, uh, in one of uh, the churches he planted, found that there were people trying to manipulate and pull strings in the church um, through their giving. And then finally, um, there is the problem of freeloading. Um, Timothy and Titus, church leaders um, in the early church, found that in their churches, they had the problem of people taking them for a ride. Um, people in the church were basically assuming the generosity of others, refusing to work uh, and, and wanting to be idle and supported by the church. The early church encountered all of these problems. And I just want us to note that. Um, we can think, oh, this is too complicated. In a, you know, th This must be an ideal picture, but it wasn't. It's challenging. But what I want us to note is that the, the early church did it anyway. They didn't stop. Um, they pushed through, even though it was difficult and complicated. They learnt to exercise discernment about who to give to. They checked their heart and purified their motives. They uh, got trustworthy people to administrate the giving. They shared resources between uh, churches and the wealthier churches gave to the poorer churches. They refused to take money uh, when it came with strings attached and they adjusted their policies to prevent dependencies. But the thing they didn't stop is they didn't stop giving. They found new um, ways to, to, to give and share radically. So that's all very challenging. Um, but I want us to ask why. Why? Why were they doing this? What was their motive? What, what, what brought them to this place? 
of radical giving and sharing. Well, I think uh, the first thing and most obvious thing to note in our passage is that this kind of radical giving um, wasn't something that was forced. It wasn't something that was forced on them from outside. Um, they didn't see it as some sort of faith tax uh, or, or a club fee or, or an initiation right. And it wasn't forced to them from the inside. It wasn't some sort of um, uh, kind of negative view of the world or of wealth. Uh, it wasn't some sort of, uh, you know, down with the privileged um, victim mentality attitude that was kind of, you know, making them anti-wealth. It was nothing like that. Rather, um, Luke talks to us about, about how they had a radical heart change. And although this passage is all about money, Luke highlights three other things that came uh, that, 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 that were part of that community and from which their generosity flowed. And I just want to highlight them because it's really important to see where this amazing life of, the, of, of this community flowed from. The first thing Luke highlights is their genuine love for one another. Their genuine love for one another. Luke remarks that they were one in heart and soul. This community was one in heart and soul. In other words, uh, this wasn't driven by some sort of idealism about money. Their generosity was driven by genuine relationship. They didn't uh, give money but then stay away uh, for, for themselves. They gave themselves and therefore they gave their money. Their giving um, and their sharing came because they cared and they knew each other. This flowed out of a genuine love for one another. Next thing that Luke um, points out is their gospel perspective. Their gospel perspective. Luke tells us, he's very explicit, that the good news of Jesus and his resurrection was right at the heart of this church community. Their founding example was Jesus who had poured himself out for the world. Their fundamental principle was grace, uh, the undeserved acceptance and forgiveness that they had found from God. And this had totally changed the way that they thought and the way that they saw everything. This church uh, wasn't operating in a rights-based economy. Um, it was operating in a grace-based economy. And they had begun to see themselves and each other through the lens of God's goodness and grace. They gave because they had first received. They had a gospel perspective. And then third of all, Luke mentions the power of the Holy Spirit at work among them. The power of God at work among them. This wasn't just a, 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 a community with a, a new set of beliefs. They were seeing the daily uh, power and provision and protection of God among them. They weren't living out of a pauper mentality. They weren't uh, living out of need. They were living out of abundance. The presence of God with, with, was with them. They knew the joy and the peace of the spirit that money can't buy. And they were confident that God was able to, um, to, to provide for them. They knew the power of the spirit among them and it overflowed in generosity and so it wasn't something forced. It was out of this genuine love for one another. 
this gospel perspective and this power of the Holy Spirit, that their, their generosity uh, flow, flowed out. And, uh, and actually everywhere in the book of Acts, um, Luke highlights uh, this kind of giving and generosity as a sign of God's uh, grace and his work amongst his people. So that's, that's where their giving and their generosity was coming from. But where does that leave us? How are we supposed to take this on board? And I just want to mention two things briefly. The first thing is I want to remind us that we have something to offer the world. We have something to offer the world. You know, we live in a world that is absolutely desperate to find mechanisms for fighting inequality and fighting injustice. But the problem is that uh, at core, our issue is often a lot deeper than we think it is. Our issue as humanity is our hearts. The issue is human nature. Human beings, human beings history teaches us, are in, interminably and desperately possessive. We are possessive people. From before we can walk, before we can even say our first words, words, we seem to have an insatiable desire to make claims on things for ourselves, to establish rights, to draw lines around things and say, that is mine. And we never grow out of it. We are possessive people. And we're like this for all kinds of reasons, I think. Sometimes out of fear, I won't have enough. Sometimes out of greed, we want, to, uh, we want pleasure and comfort. Sometimes out of pride, we want to uh, show off and demonstrate our worth. Sometimes out of a need for control over our lives. And we think possessions will give that. But at the end of the day, our problem is one of the heart. We are possessive people. And yet, here, Luke is able to describe a community that has been set free from the curse of possessiveness. They have new hearts. He's able to write that nobody in this community claimed their possessions were their own, but they shared everything. They had new hearts. And I just want to say, I just want to put it out there, that we as Christians have something to offer. There's no secular equivalent to the power of the gospel to set us free. There's no system or government or secular ideology of equality, however good, however just, that can match uh, the, the heart-changing power of God's Spirit. All of these things might be good, and it's good and right to have uh, good laws and, and just, and just uh, ways of uh, policies and ways of dealing. Uh, but in the end, all of these things are external. They are based, again, on rights and on rules and on regulations. And in the end, they boil down simply to a new shape for possessiveness and a new place to draw the lines and a new way to make claims. But none of them deal with our deepest problem. But God can. The gospel can. The presence of God's spirit can. And I have seen it. I have seen the power of the gospel set people free from fear about money, set people free to love and bless people 
I've seen I've seen it change my own life, and I've seen I've seen it at HT, and I've seen it um, around the world. Friends, the first thing I want to remind us is: yes, it is good to be campaigning for better rights, more generous laws, um, and to celebrate that. But we have something as Christians that the world doesn't have and desperately needs. We have the power of the gospel and God's spirit. And the second thing I just want to say is, don't we just want to be more like this? Don't we just want to be more like this? Luke holds uh, this generosity out not as something false, but as, as a sign, as a hallmark of the gospel and God's spirit. And I don't have time to go into how we might do this practically. And I think it's different in different situations. Um, and as I said, I don't have a particular agenda. I'm not launching a new initiative. I'm really, really grateful to say that I have seen already in the last couple of months so much generosity at HT in big ways and in small. And in many ways, I think we are a community that's already giving and sharing radically. But I think I want to grow. I want to grow in this. And so and um, this morning, like Luke, I just want to hold up this picture of this community um, and their example of, of radical generosity, literally selling their possessions uh, to meet the need of their, of their family. And, um, and I, I wanted to hold it up, not, not only the example of their giving, but also of their heart. And I want us to invite, invite us to press into this to not, to not grow comfortable, um, but to ask for more of this in our lives and in our community. So maybe a few really brief questions to finish. Um, are we hungry for this? Do we want this to, to be more part of our lives? If so, are, are we in genuine relationships? Uh, are we, or do we know enough people? Are, are we in enough relationships with people who might be in need that we, we could um, give because we care? Uh, if this is about relationship, maybe we need to start with building those relationships. Number two, do we have a gospel perspective? Do we find ourselves uh, with an attitude of rights and of these are my privileges and this is mine and I've earned it? Or have we come to see with a gospel perspective? Is grace at the heart? Do we understand the gift that God has given us? Are we living out of that? Maybe we need to ask for more of that. And then finally, would we be willing to pray big prayers about God filling us with his spirit? God has the power to change our hearts. Maybe now's the time to be asking God to send his spirit that we would see radical freedom from possessiveness in our lives. To ask him, come Lord Jesus and set me free, that we would look a little bit more like this community and that the world would see that we have something that they desperately want and desperately need. I know I want to see that in my life and I hope that we've been encouraged that we want to see that more in our church as well. Let me pray for us as we finish. Lord, we thank you so much for this incredible example um, of you at work in the uh, Jerusalem church. Lord, we pray that we would, uh, you, would, you would encourage us and challenge us and call us more into this life. We want more freedom. We want more generosity. Lord, pray that you'd be speaking to each one of us about ways that we can live more in this new reality. 
and make us more the people you want us to be, we pray. Amen. Amen.